Hello and welcome to the Tent Weavers. I'm Rabbi Michael Gilboa. I'm here with my co-host Rabbi Juan Mejia and Rabbi Esther Hugenholtz. And it is really wonderful to be back. I want to apologize for being gone for so long. Some of you may know that in the past six months, um, a, a lot has changed for me. I have started a new position as a congregational rabbi in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. So I had to move with my family, start a new job, um, continue with the old job as well. I'm still doing the online Intro to Judaism program, The Footpath. And um, you know, we, we, we all kind of thought the pandemic might be over at some point, and, and it's not. Uh, and so it's just been a very busy time. And some, sometimes things end up on the back burner. And this podcast is one of those things, but I'm, I'm very glad that we're back now and it's been a busy six months for me. And I'd love to, to, to hear a little bit from my co-hosts about what, what have you been up to since, uh, since our audience last saw you. Continuing with my congregation, um, trying to get through Delta. Um, we had our high holidays um, and I'm, I just completed one cycle of my introduction to Judaism program, uh, which is awesome. And I'm looking forward to launching a new one. So I'm, you know, guiding uh, a number of individuals through the process, which is really gratifying. And just, you know, the wheeling and dealing of congregational life and family life. And well, you know, life isn't terribly exciting during the pandemic. It's actually really boring to be in a global crisis. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. What about you, Juan? I know you got home to Colombia at some point. I managed to squeeze between Delta and Omicron, and I went to Barranquilla. Finally, I finalized 19 conversions that were on hold since 2020, and the, the weddings and the B'nai Mitzvah and the community now there has been strengthened, and uh, we we had some uh, press coverage, which I hope uh, will be out soon, and everybody will get to see beautiful pictures of of new people creating new Judaism for themselves in the Caribbean. So that is wonderful. Yeah, that's fabulous. Wonderful. So sometimes we talk about conversion in the news or conversion in pop culture, and that's actually what inspired us to, to get the crew back together. There has been an instance of conversion in popular culture. Uh, Eric Cartman from the show South Park. Huge. Um, yeah, no, this is this is huge. This is a this is a big one. <laughs> so uh, for those of you who don't follow the show, the show is about the adventures and misadventures of a group of, uh, of fourth graders. Um, I guess it was sort of sunsetted or canceled or whatever term you want to use, um, except now that they've they've brought it back, except they have moved everyone forward in time it's an indefinite point in the future uh and they're doing these specials on the on the new streaming service they have um so it's an indefinite point the kids are now um around about my age um they're 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 middle-aged they've got kids of their own and um in the in the world of the um of of, of the show uh we've been dealing with covid this whole time so 40 some years we've been dealing with covid it's almost over but not quite <laughs> and they've all had to come back together because uh, their friend kenny has died the joke oh, of course no. being that 
Yeah, I know. Right, right. The joke being that Kenny dies in every episode um, or nearly every episode. Uh, but now Kenny, Kenny has died and it might have something to do with COVID. It might have something to do with the end of COVID. Um, and so they've come back together for Kenny's funeral. And it turns out that in the meantime, Cartman has converted to Judaism. He has become a rabbi. He has a Jewish wife. He has three Jewish kids. Um, demographically, it, it, it lines up uh, pretty pretty nicely with my life, actually, which was a little disturbing to see on screen. And um, so for, for those who haven't been following for years, uh, Cartman has been um, tormenting his Jewish friend, Kyle, um, with, uh, with, 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 with basically anti-Semitic statements, slurs, taunts. Um, it, it, in, in the later seasons, it kind of went a little, a little more intense. He dressed up as Hitler and staged a pogrom, um, got the, the primordial monster Cthulhu to destroy synagogues. Um, it, it, it all, it all um, is, is, is anti-Semitic to the point of, um, uh, I mean, it, it, it all seemed fairly, um, you know, like in scale for children in the earlier seasons. And by the time you get to the later seasons, it's all gone very, very extreme uh, to the point where it sort of stopped being funny for me. Um, other people might have a difference of opinion. Um, but now it's entirely possible that this is all still a joke. That this is all still somehow Cartman trying to pull one over on um, on on Kyle. Um, in the world of South Park, I suppose you can imagine someone converting to another religion, going through a rabbinical school, having a wife, uh, having children, all living a, a, a Jewish life as a prank, as a, as 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 a joke for a, culminating in a big gotcha moment. And there is going to be a part two. To, to this uh, special, which comes out, I think next week. So we, we, we might, we might have to come up, come back with another episode um, to, to address whatever, whatever's going to happen next. Um, but in the meantime, what do people think about um, one of, one of the television world's most notorious anti-Semites uh, converting to Judaism and becoming a rabbi? Well, I, I, I think there is president. I think even though I, I don't think the creators of South Park are Jewish, uh, are they? One of them is, if I remember correctly. Okay, uh, but it, 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 it's a very old Jewish joke. We have in, in in the Tanakh, we have instances of generals that are sent to to attack us. That like they, I think they meet with the prophet Elisha, and Elisha cures them of their of their uh, leprosy, and then they become they don't convert. Conversion does not yet exist in in the Tanakh as 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 we know it, but they become. Jewishly involved, and in the in the Talmud we have uh, the notions that the the descendants, for example, of Haman, that there were some uh, Amalekites that were left, and they converted to Judaism and they taught Torah in Jerusalem. And there is a, a, a legend that, like, there is a there is a tradition in the Yerushalmi that claims that this is speaking of no none else than Rabbi Akiva. We know that Rabbi Akiva's father Joseph was a convert. And the, and the Talmud puts it together. He was not only a convert, he was an Amalekite convert. Uh, so so it, it is, a, it, it, I don't know how it, it will end. I don't know what the punchline is, but I, I think that our tradition certainly has the, the great faith that the, like the, the beauty of Torah can even turn 
our enemies into us. It's not just turn our enemies into friends. It's it's the transformational power of Torah can turn a Malek and, and make him into Rabbi Akiva. So, and, and I, I have not, I'm not a big South Park fan. I, I think I saw the first season. It's been around for a long time. I oh, think yeah. the joke is that like some people that started watching it when they were in fourth grade are now our age. <laughs> right, right. We are South Park, right? Our generation. Oi. <laughs> you know what uh, t-shirt I bought myself for Hanukkah? This is really sad when you buy yourself Hanukkah gifts. It says geriatric millennial. Um, Mike, this is going to mean something to you, but I got it at Raygun. Oh, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> so, but yes, I do think there's this generational component to it for those of us who, in our, who are in our late 30s, early 40s, that we kind of grew up with The Simpsons and South Park as these um, controversial, perhaps, uh, cultural icons. I actually have a Devar Acher, um, Juan, on this reading, and I'm not sure I completely agree with it myself, it's great when you can have a machloka with yourself, a disagreement with yourself, but I want to offer it anyway, that the this notion of our enemies converting to Judaism, yes, uh, in, in kind of a grace-filled reading, you could say that, you know, the Shekhinah, bringing them under the wings of the Shekhinah is such a transformative experience and that our Torah is healing of their hatred. I mean, I really want to believe that too. But the Devar Acher, you know, the other perspective I want to offer is that this is actually, you know, a, a revenge fantasy of our textual tradition and our people, perhaps, that what better way to sublimate and subjugate our enemies, not through, you know, not, not through uh, power, not through might, but through my spirits, right? Um, that we, we sublimate that hatred by, by making them play on Team Torah, so to say. So I'm wondering whether there is an aspect of kind of revenge fantasy going on in this trope um, of our enemies joining us and uh, whether it is just very emotionally satisfying, at least in the abstract, to see that. Absolutely. Like, even when it's plainly, like the, 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 the Talmud claims that Nero converted to Judaism and that he was an ancestor of Rabbi Meir. There's, there's uh, ideas that Onkelos uh, uh, himself was descended from like Roman nobility, and, and, and yet Nero did not convert to Judaism. Popea might have dabbled in Judaism, his wife, but, but, but yeah, I, I, I also see it as is like the, the tools of a powerless people is to say that you hate us so much, you have so much power over us, and, and yet, out of your own free will, you you decide to come over to our team. It's an interesting approach too, because you know we're we're not. Um, this isn't an unknown genre. You know, many scholars think the Book of Joshua, for instance, is essentially a a revenge fantasy written after the Babylonian exile or maybe during the Babylonian exile. Oh, wouldn't it have been great if our armies had gone through and wiped out all of the Canaanites? That, 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 that's, that's fun. It's a fun read when you're a powerless people. Um, but it's the, you know, it's, it, it's the, the genius and the beauty of rabbinic Judaism to say, well, what's our revenge fantasy? It's not that we wipe them all out. It's that they converted to Judaism. I mean, that's, that, that's a very different sort of revenge. It, it's much better. 
uh, right, the, right. These, these, these uh, uh, like as as far as revenge fantasies go, Nero converting to Judaism, uh, and 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 fathering sages is is far more innocuous than than, and we'll go and like crush the the kind of these apocalyptic, because this is all part of of apocalyptic literature, mm-hmm. which which we also dabbled in. It, it didn't become part of our of our rabbinic corpus it, it remained as part of the apocrypha the pseudepigrapha but we also had a tradition of we shall rise triumphant and in a very military way we are going to overcome our enemies uh i think this 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 power fantasy still plays very deeply into like fundamentalist readings of of the idea of the messiah of, i want to i want to bring those two ideas together and also something i've been struggling with during hanukkah so i I, you could actually argue that this revenge fantasy of our enemies becoming us, uh, essentially, is the other side of the coin of something that luckily doesn't get a lot of historical airtime in Judaism, but basically coercive conversion. It's a different form of coercion. It's a spiritual coercion, not a physical coercion. And um, the reason I bring it up is because, of course, we just came out of Hanukkah. And I've been studying the book of Maccabees and reading up a little bit on the Hasmoneans and kind of wrestling with this idea of like the Idumeans and some other tribes as well, not just the Idumeans. The Idumeans being forcibly converted, put to the sword and Judaized uh, by the Hasmonean dynasty, um, which very few people actually know about. Um, It's one of only two, as far as I know, two historical um, instances where Jews practiced enforced conversion. Um, the other one being a Yemenite king in the fifth century, I believe. Um, but, you know, so I've really kind of grappled with like our inner darkness, you know, the inner darkness of like, you know, we pride ourselves on having such a gentle um, tradition on conversion, you know, like, okay, some people say Jews don't proselytize. Okay, you know, we'll put that. Uh, question away but I think that most Jews there's a consensus however you fall on that continuum in the Jewish community on on your thinking on conversion is that Jews never coerce right some of us might be more proactive about wanting to help people convert some of us believe the initiative should entirely rely on the convert all those positions are fine and authentic to Judaism but I think the ethos that underscores all those positions is that there's never a coercive element. And the Hasmoneans teach us that at least historically at that, to- at that time, there was this coercive element. And, um, you know, while Cartman obviously isn't being put to the sword, I mean, this is a self-motivated decision as far as we can know from the storyline, there is something really violent, you know, something really violent about him doing that and him being compelled to do that. Like this idea that we spiritually subjugate our enemies by making them us has a certain kind of violence and a certain kind of grimness to it that I'm really interested in thinking about. Well, I mean, what is, what is the internet for if not arguing over things that happened 2,200 years ago? Um, but I, with that as a preface, um, 
I'm I'm not convinced about the Idumeans, actually. I, I the um, the clearest evidence we have for their forced conversion um, comes from Josephus, who had lots of axes to grind and was writing for a non-Jewish audience, um, and Manetho the Egyptian, who was just a straight up anti-Semite. Um, uh, other other texts, other other stories we have about what happened with the Idumeans, uh, a, a lot more nuanced. Um, and in Josephus, we see that when the, the Jewish rebellion happened, it, were, it was the Idumeans who were the, the, the most sort of um, zealous uh, fighters in, in preserving uh, Jerusalem and the temple, um, mm-hmm. sort, of, sort of standing. Um, and again, this might be a literary trope because um, it's, um, it's sort of well known in, in, the, um, in the Tanakh that the, 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 the Edomites, who are the same as the Idumeans, um, the Edomites were allies of the Babylonians in the destruction of the first temple. Um, and in fact, most of, the, most of the soldiers involved in the siege probably weren't from all the way from Babylon. They were locals who were hired. Uh, so they they were they would have been Edomites and by the rivers of Babylon ends with a beautiful exactly exactly diss to, like no it's it's a horrible gruesome diss to the to to Edom saying like you did this to us right um, right yes and so what Josephus might be um, sort of making making a a, a, a rhetorical point sort not so different from what we're doing that this time around at the destruction of the second temple the Edomites or Idumeans were the fiercest defenders of Jerusalem, whether it's true or not, it's hard to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there is in all pre-modern societies, um, religion has a coercive element to it. Um, you know, I, I think Judaism stands um, even, even then as, uh, as, as uniquely non-coercive by comparison, but um, it, do, it doesn't mean we need to, to rest on our, on our on our laurels either um, about some of some of our some of our darker moments. No, and the transition and uh, is is uh, when you when you go and see like the Hasmonean uh, campaigns that that did not survive. That that tradition was opposed by the by the rabbis. The rabbis did not like the Hasmoneans. Maybe maybe this was one of the reasons that they did not like. We we know that the that the Judaized Edomians were uh, discriminated against. Like one of the big points of Herod was that he wasn't really Jewish. Oh, your father was like this Edomian dude who converted. You're not really Jewish. And when we get the all of the story of Hanukkah, the miracle of the of the cruise of oil, and all that stuff, which is 400, six, 600 years even after the the facts, uh, it's all been turned into a a far gentler, uh, like these stories in the Talmud about the conversion of our enemies always through persuasion, uh, either either of a sage. We have uh, this story of uh, Caesar sending, well, I think it's, uh, I, I think it's Augustus, who's sending, would it be Augustus? No, it would have to be someone later. Uh, and Rabbi Mayer, just like, like they're sending uh, guys to, to, to spy on the Jews in the Beit Midrash. And they all start converting to Judaism. Um, 
or, Isn't or there Nero. a similar story with Onkelos? Yeah, that's the Onkelos story. Yeah, right. yeah. The Roman legions who approach him and he ends up converting each legion to Judaism. Right. He and, like and, points and, and, at the mezuzah and somehow that convinces them. <laughs> I'm going to try that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mike, you have, you have some Gemara for us? Yes, yes. Uh, so, so you have both brought some excellent uh, sources just in conversation on this topic, and I I want to bring a couple a couple of sources as well that might inform this question about um, about Eric Cartman about is there something so bad? Is there something you could do that's so bad that the Jewish people, the rabbis, would say? You are not allowed to convert to Judaism. You are not allowed to repent um, of your of your past deeds and become uh, a, a convert. This is in the context of a concept that uh, when a person has been sinning for a long time, that God um, and then they repent, that God might um, sort of elevate their soul by by having them die at the moment of their repentance which obviously, from our point of view, I don't think any of us would necessarily sign up to that theology, but um, it, is, it is what it is in the Talmud. Um, uh, and so it's in the context of that conversation that we have this um, example given uh, from the life of, uh, of Rav Chista, um, who, uh, who says that one time a woman came to me um, and she confessed to him, that the lightest of the light of her sins was that she conceived her younger son by engaging in intercourse with her older son. And yeah, so, and Rahista said to her, you should prepare your funeral shrouds. Um, essentially, now that you've repented, you're certain to die because of how terrible your sins were. Um, but the, the, the Gemara says, um, but she did not die. So it's confusing. No one exactly understands what's going on here, what God's motivation is. Now, obviously, this is not about conversion. Um, and you're going to have to forgive me for making a leap in the text that I, I I'm, will be the first to admit that the text isn't necessarily taking us in this direction. But I think I know who this woman is, actually. Um, this is a, a very famous convert to Judaism. Um, there is a street named after her in Jerusalem. Her tomb is in Jerusalem. This is Queen Helena or Heleni Hamalka. Um, she was a Persian a ruling queen um, in, the, in the time of the Talmud who uh, converted to Judaism along with her family, along with her husband, along with her children. Um, and Many, uh, men, many of her, her family converted along with her. There are many famous uh, stories in the Talmud of how she rescued Jerusalem from a famine. She, was, she, she basically bankrupted her own country to be able to bring enough food to, to feed Israel during a famine. She, uh, she was a, a, a righteous woman who, uh, who, who ended up converting. Um, it was the custom in her land. The, this was a, a Zoroastrian country, and they had a custom that the royal family and only the royal family um, engaged in um, incestuous marriage. Uh, this is not uncommon in ancient history. Uh, Egyptians did the something Ptolemies. similar. 
-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and, 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 you know, they would, I think they called it divine union or something along those lines. And it was thought to be in, in mimicry of the gods and mimicry of heaven, uh, where, you know, the, anyone who's read, you know, Greek mythology or something, uh, they're, they're all, they're all related to each other, all the, all the gods, um, and, and they're all married to each other. Um, and so, um, the question that the rabbis don't touch with the 10 foot pole is, after she converts to Judaism, what happens to her husband slash brother, um, who also converts? Slash son, right? Right, right, right. Yes, because then her son, after her husband dies, her son, um, two of her sons actually become king. First, the older one, um, and then he dies, and then the younger one named Moonbaz becomes king. Um, so he is king. She is the the dowager queen or or queen mother. Um, and are they engaged in this relationship? It's sort of unclear. Um, but here's what we do know uh, from Shabbat 68b. This is the other text I want to bring. Um, and I know this is getting kind of gross for a lot of people. I, I appreciate that. Like you're all bearing with me here. Um, th this is not exactly fun to talk about, but it is, it is interesting nonetheless, from my point of view. Um, so in Shabbat 68b, we have this conversation about Shabbat violation, um, needing to bring a temple sacrifice, uh, in the time of the temple, when, um, you violated Shabbat, you had to bring a chatat, um, a, a, a sacrifice to the temple. Um, uh, what do you call it? Sin offering. A sin, a sin offering. offering. Let's say I write a letter on Shabbat. Do I have to bring a hatat for every single letter that I write down, um, every word I write, or or is that is it one act and therefore it needs one hatat? Um, and 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 this this question sort of gets expanded into what about something that I used to do all the time because I didn't know any better? So what about transgression? Habi habitual transgression based on ignorance. And the example used is Hager Shanit Gayer Ben Hagoim, the convert who converts among the Gentiles. Um, and, and, and there's some question about what this means. What, what, what is a convert who converts among the Gentiles? Um, probably uh, what it means, to, at least to some degree, is uh, someone who converts without really knowing what they're getting themselves into. Someone who converts without having gone to an intro to Judaism class like we teach. Um, and so they don't know any better. They don't, they, maybe, maybe they know what Shabbat is. They've heard the term, but they don't know all of the details about how to keep Shabbat. And so years might go by, decades might go by. They have no idea. They weren't supposed to be cooking. They weren't supposed to be lighting fire. Um, no one ever told them. Um, now from a rabbinic perspective, this is a major failure. But the, the question the Talmud is asking is how many chatats do they have to bring? How many sacrifices do they have to bring? And there's a debate about this between two rabbis, um, Rabbi Akiva, who we all know, and a guy named Munbaz. And the Maharshal says Munbaz is the son of Queen Helena. Son, sla son slash wife, maybe, or husband. Um, and so that might be informing this conversation. They it's were, as the royal like, family of Persia, they were engaged in an ongoing transgression. Right. Maybe it's they didn't know like, about it. Um, 
Rabbi Yochanan and uh, Reish Lakish, right? Like that Reish Lakish from his own life drew on a particular expertise around discussions of transgression of some kind. So that's the parallel I'm seeing. He's basically a Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish, for, for, for those at home, was a gladiator or a highwayman. He was, uh, he was one bad Jew. He was, and he knew he a not, lot about weapons. Right, he was not a convert, but he knew he knew he knew that you placed the AK forty seven next to your handgun. He knew he knew the place setting of. <laughs> of uh, wow, gosh, place. I know I I know nothing about that, nor do I want to. You are like I'm gonna, Rabbi Yochanan. I'm, I'm going to yeah. disagree with my esteemed colleague just slightly. I think the jury's still out on whether Rachel Akish was a convert. I think he might have been. I really Ooh. do. Yeah, right, uh, send me. Uh, I would love. I would love to talk about that. But so, what? What does Monobazo? So we have Rabbi Akiva, who's the son of a convert, with a convert talking about this. I think it informs the the the, the discussion nicely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And Rabbi Akiva says, basically, you need to write down the list of every transgression you committed and bring a chatat for every single one. So every time you broke Shabbat unknowingly every time you ate something kosher without knowing what kosher was every time you did a thing you you got to figure it out it's on you and basically like come up with your laundry list that's how many chatats you need to bring um and munbaz says no that's obviously that like he doesn't say this but i think it's implied that you're closing the door on tshuva if you do that, mm. uh, because no one could actually do that. Someone who has been uh, living a, 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 a sort of semi-Jewish life, not, not aware of all of the intricacies of Jewish law. Um, I couldn't do this, you know? When, when, I, when I converted, I didn't know all of the finer points of Shabbat. Um, you know, I, 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 I was like many people, you know, you, you go to Friday night service, then you go to the movies afterwards, this sort of thing. Um, at a certain point in life, I took on more observance after my conversion. I took on more. I, I'd say, uh, you know, even even to this day, I, I still continue to grow in my my observance. Um, but there's no way I could, realistically speaking, come up with the laundry list of every single time I did something in in ignorance. Um Ooh, uh, so, uh, you know, like, like many cases in the, in the Talmud, um, it's, it's a little unclear who wins, but Rabbi Akiva wins because he always wins. I mean, that's, that's the way, that's the way the later, the later codes write it down. But Munbaz, I think, is bringing a really good point nonetheless, which is that the, the act of ignorance is one act. There is one thing that um, is sort of stopping you from observing Shabbat, observing Kashrut, whatever it is. Um, and, and that one thing is your own ignorance of, of, of the halakha. And, and so that ignorance is itself the act. And therefore, you only have to bring one chatat. Um, I, I have a few thoughts, um, both in terms of, you know, the distance between the days of Sifrut Chazal, the days of the writings of our rabbis, the Talmud, and in terms of how we actually practice Teshuvah uh, nowadays, you know, if you look at the uh, High Holiday Liturgy, at the Yom Kippur Liturgy, at the Vidulis, the confessionals, you know, the Alchet Shechatanu Lefanecha passages, 
but it kind of is a laundry list and it is in the plural to cover all of our bases. And I feel like that might be a good, like, um, you know, synthesis between this dialectic, right? Where on the one hand, it recognizes Rabbi Akiva's position that we, we do have to verbalize each individual transgression, but it also accounts uh, Munbaz's position, which is it's actually impossible for each of us to individually atone for that. So we do that in the collective. Um, you know, the, the second thought um, I had is that this really speaks to a theology of depravity in a, in a way, you know, um, both intentional and unintentional depravity filtered through the lens of culturally specific behavior. I think, you know, when we look at marriage taboos or relationship taboos, um, you know, I'm going to put on my cultural anthropology keeper, um, that, that this is very culturally specific. And I, I certainly don't want us to mock ancient cultures that practiced differently than we did, um, including ancient cultures that still have living descendants and uh, small but vibrant communities of practice and theology like the Zoroastrian community. Shout out to the Zoroastrian community. It's actually a really amazing religion. And, you know, um, I, I think there's a lot to be learned from Zoroastrianism. Um, but yeah, so I think like it speaks to this theology of depravity, right? Like how bad does it need to get before we can no longer flip the switch on Teshuvah and do Teshuvah? But I think that's that's the underlying question. Um, and I, I think it doesn't really matter whether that person is a Baal Teshuvah, someone who, who is born Jewish and returns to Jewish practice, or someone who converts. I think that what makes the conversion question part of this is that, you know, in normative rabbinic thinking, at the moment that you go to the mikveh for your conversion, all your transgressions are forgiven. You're kind of born anew and you get a new slate. The same with your wedding day. You know, there are key, uh, some key junctures in, in our lives where a reset like that is possible. So, um, and I think that kind of brings in with Cartman as well, right? Like, yes, there are a lot of really troubling analogies that we can draw both historically and contemporaneously about people who do really depraved things. And I think that marks your discomfort, Mike, with discussing this because it is icky, because depravity is really icky, you know, no matter what kind of depravity. Um, but how depraved do you need to be before salvation or repentance are no longer possible? I think that's the underlying question. I, I want to piggyback on that, Esther. And I, I think that that discomfort is, is, is a theological catch-22 that the rabbis had. And, and, I, and I think that they are, on the one hand, they have this very radical new idea of teshuvah. And, and particularly in a post-temple uh, uh, theology, right? Like Rabbi Akiva lived through the destruction of the temple. And, and I don't like, I know that uh, speaking of, of Monobazos, which was his Greek name of Mumbas and Helene, the only cavalry that we had in against the Romans was the Adyabinan cavalry. 
it was it was the it was the 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 the, the personal guard of Eleni and Monbaz that were stationed in Jerusalem for Passover got sieged by the Romans. They were the only horses we had, and they all died defending the city. So it's it's uh, it's just to add more complicated like layers to the thing. While we had Alexandrian Jews fighting for the Romans, that is also something that gets uh, sidestepped. There were Jews, there were Romanized Jews shooting ballistas into Jerusalem, shooting arrows into their brethren. Uh, the, Max the, Romana was really compelling. They're, they're, the, 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 the nephew of Philo was there. Uh, uh, Berenike, the last Hasmonean queen, was Titus's lover. She was warming up his bed in the, in the tent like while he was sieging Jerusalem. It, it's it really complicated. But mm -hmm. once the rabbis say Teshuvah is absolute, uh, or when they say a convert is like a newborn child, conversion Teshuva recreate you anew. It's a miracle. It's it's like you are, you don't have your familial ties. You don't have like your mother's not your mother anymore. Your brother's not your brother. You are created anew. It's this power that the individual has. And this is something that I, I really want to stress, particularly to viewers that are new to Judaism. Rabbis don't convert people. Right? Like there's no three rabbis we gather together and we go, bololo, 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 age of empires, and all of a sudden you're Jewish. No, no, no. We are here as witnesses, and you say, I want to join you. And 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 then we say, okay. And and, and like later, later uh texts even go like, do rabbis even have the the the, the power to say no? Like if the person is sincere enough that says, I want to follow Torah, I want to do, and, and, and does the, uh, which might be one of these issues, a, gershik, uh, a convert that converts among the nations. It's a beautiful idea. It gives humans really divine power. God creates the world out of nothing by speech. We create ourselves anew by speech. And we know that it was a, a controversial idea because of these texts. And I think there's one that is even more poignant, which is the, the death story of the sages, where Rabbi Akiva dies. And there is a Rabbi Yehoshua ben Teradion. I don't, I think, I think this is either in Gitin or in Avodazara. And he's wrapped in a separate Torah with sponges of water and he's thrown into the fire. It's a horrible means of execution because the, the sponges are delaying the burning. And he is in so much pain. And there's the Kalistoneri. The Kalistoneri is the executioner. And he's just there, like watching this poor rabbi die. And 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 the and the guy says, you guys are really committed. If if I turn to your side, will God accept me? And he says yes. And what he does is he is he 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 eases the death of Rabbi Yeshua ben Teradion, and then he jumps into the fire. And then there's several rabbis, and like there's no more rabbis. I don't know if it's in the in the scene itself, like rabbis that are watching this. Because there's a bot call that says, oh, welcome, Rabbi Yehoshua ben Teradion and the executioner. It's deathbed conversion. We had that in Judaism as well. Like deathbed, this guy doesn't go like, he's not circumcised, he doesn't go to the mikvah. He's saying, I, I believe in this. You've persuaded me. I want to die with you. And I want to die, as it were, as a, as a righteous Gentile, or even as a, as a Jew in progress. And rabbis decry that say, there's one who wins his life, his portion, through a, a lifetime of work, and there's one who buys it in one moment. 
Yes, like then, then there's and 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 they are uncomfortable with this idea that I can be horrible my entire life. It can be a Roman executioner, a barbarous tool of empire, and all of a sudden, I I turn to God and God receives me. And yet, when when does the generosity of sincere repentance turn into cheap grace? It's a tough and question. And, that's a, and, and, and that is a question. And I think that the rabbis couldn't bring themselves to say, they say like, this is unfair, but they didn't say it doesn't happen. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, this is one moment where they don't argue with the vodka. Right. <laughs> but, they're, but they're uncomfortable. And it's like generations later, people are saying, and there's other examples of people who just, in a, in a great act of theological inspiration, Right, and we have this in other faith traditions, right? The the, the good thief and the and the bad thief on the like, it, it, it's it's an idea that was there in the, in the water, of what happens when you do this profound inner translation, inner uh, transition, which the Greeks called metanoia, changing your mind, changing your your noose, changing your your intellect, and we and which we called gior. And, and, and I think, Mike, the, the, the text about like the, the, the convert who converts among the nations is a beautiful parallel because I think the rabbis were, were, were aware of, of these two things. Giur, that comes from the verb lagur, to inhabit, is the Jew who converts not among the nations. That is, the Jew who converts in the blessing of a community, in the blessing of a robust... Like, if I convert in Tiberias... And Robbie Mayer is like teaching my intro to Judaism class, right? And, and all of a sudden I have all this mimetic information and they're inviting me for Shabbat and like uh, people are like receiving me. That is Giyur, right? That is Giyur. But all Giyur starts with metanoia, with conversion. I want to focus this discussion a little bit because I want to close the gap between our ancient text and the modern applied practical rabbinates. Like we see these situations come up all the time, both in terms of actual deathbed conversions. There are rabbis who are confronted, someone in the conversion process, you know, God forbid, suddenly becomes terminally ill, you know, and can't formalize the rituals of conversion, but still wants to convert and die as a Jew, for instance, that is a practical rabbinic question that comes up. Um, the rabbinic question that comes up a lot, especially in the time of the internet, is ger shenit gayer ben hagoyim, the convert who converts among the nations, among the Gentiles, which also raises the question of like, is there such a thing as auto-conversion? Can you convert yourself? And how destabilizing would that be to the rabbinic system of, you know, for all intents and purposes, gatekeeping, even nice rabbis gatekeep, even welcoming rabbis, even convert rabbis like us gatekeep. It is uh, instrumental in our role. I mean, we try to do it warmly and ethically and kindly, hopefully, but there's still an element of gatekeeping in our practical applied rabbinic work. Um, and of course, with the, with the internet, we are going to see that more and more that people are Garim Shanit Gayer, Bain Hagoyim, right? So like, mm -hmm. like we, we spread this digital Torah and people hook onto it. 
And I don't think as a community, we're really thinking through the huge spiritual implications of basically creating the digital version of right? Torah shall come out of Zion, out of your Wi-Fi connection. Um, <laughs> so I think that it applies there too. And the Cartman case applies here too. I mean, obviously he, you know, he's a polemical character. That's how he's drawn very intentionally. Um, but, you know, what, what, what kind of baggage does he have? And would, have, would that baggage have been different had he had more exposure to Jews in his South Park universe, for instance? Like, he just has Kyle, as far as I know, and Kyle's family. Like, that's why we have this song, I'm a Jew, a lonely Jew. At also, as, far, as far as I remember, they're pretty, they're pretty observed. Like, his parents are observing, yeah. but he is not. Like yes. His parents wear a kippah indoors. His, his mother looks like this, like overbearing Ashkenazi. That might just be an animator's choice, though, to put the kippah on him. I don't know. But, but, but I, I think what Esther is bringing is 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 really significant. Like the the the, I I don't know about self conversion, and 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 that is definitely a topic that I don't want to touch because, uh, uh but uh, I will defer to my to my teacher. Uh, uh, Dr. Josh Kulp, who's written extensively on that, whether that happened, and if if it, even if it happened, I don't know if that it would be advisable today. But no, I, I think that, this right? this 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 debate frames, uh, for me, conversion in the in in the idealized conversionary narrative of orthodoxy and of everybody else in orthodoxy, mm -hmm. and I'm talking about Haredi Judaism. You will not be converted unless you really graft yourself into the community and yes. your kids go to the same school and you live in the same neighborhood and you're being naturalized. You're being naturalized in many cases, uh, severing of family ties, which I find extremely difficult and extremely problematic, but it, that's, what, that's what the rabbinic tradition actually says. It's like, you are no longer related to your family. I, we might say well we, we we might choose to interpret differently but at least on the on the literal on the, on the literal level of the of of the rabbinic statement that is what it's saying and for them to say this is the only way in which giur can happen is with the grafting of the new person into a community and it's a community that is not willing to graft everybody and, and who is limited, right? If, if the only way you can become Jewish is by moving to Measharim or to Borough Park, well, that means that only a very tiny sliver of humanity can actually become Jewish that we're not blessed being Jewish in the first place. Right. While- It raises like, a theological question, which is also at the base of this, what, what is the purpose of conversion, right? Is the purpose of conversion A, the spiritual and social integration of a non-Jew into the polity of Israel, the people, not the country. Although in the, in the country, that would also be the country, but you know, in diaspora, that's the people. Um, and is it okay if we say by virtue of, of we're pretty globalized as a people, but not every city or town has a Jewish community. 
And by virtue of our own limitations, that option is not available to everyone. And that's okay. I'm sorry. You know, like that's, that's position A. Like if you don't have a Jewish community in your town, I'm sorry. Or even in your country, that's where the buck ends. Sorry. You'll either have to move or give up on your dream or B, right, which is the more radical and perhaps destabilizing option, which is actually conversion is a mitzvah and we should be able to offer it and create the conditions regardless of whether those pre-existing conditions are there in that moment. And like, I just want to caveat that this, that this, this is real, you know, as a, as a, as a Jew from Europe, as a Jew who has lived and worked in smaller Jewish communities and, you know, Juan for you as well. And Mike, I think for you as well, we see this all the time. We see the pain and heartbreak of people who are really sincere and who want to become Jewish for all the right ways, but cannot access the community you know, sufficiently for whatever geographical or other limitations. So, you know, I think it's a question we need to ask ourselves, like, what is our philosophy of conversion? Is that position A or is that position B, you know? Um, and, and be mindful of like the real life implications this has. I personally know people who are trapped. They want to convert to Judaism. They don't live in a community where they can, can convert either because there is no Jewish community or because it's a denomination that will not accept them for who they fundamentally are um, in some way. And they, they are stuck, which also brings me to my point of this initial text. Um, you know, as someone who is a member of the Central Conference of American Rabbis, I am like this weird reformative half reform, half conservative rabbi, long story. But, um, you know, like this idea that, you know, a convert who doesn't get it exactly right, you know, has to list all the ways in which the convert should repent as a Jew or the Jew, right? Who, whether that Jew is through conversion or that Jew is someone who was born Jewish and like grew up pretty assimilated and, and didn't really have a halachic practice. Like that also really centers the primacy of halacha as a determinant. Now that's okay from the perspective of our sages because that was the universe in which they operated. And that's also okay from our contemporaneous denominations that also place halacha at the center. But there are also forms and expressions of Judaism that don't place halacha at the center. And that might answer that question differently. So I just wanted to point that out as well. I do want to shift gears here a little bit. We're going to, we're going to have to wrap it up. Um, but I want to, um, this has been a great conversation. I also want to point out that um, to my knowledge, this is the first time pop culture has seen a, um, a convert to Judaism become a rabbi. Uh, I, I could be wrong about that, but you know, for me growing up, it was a, it was a watershed moment when I saw Jerry's dentist become Jewish on Seinfeld. And I know for, for, for a lot of people, it was um, Charlotte converting on Sex in the City was what let them know that that was an option for them. Um, and then, you know, uh, life uh, imitates art and, and, and we, all, we all got to hear about um, Ivanka Trump during, during that era. Um, and for, for many people, this is probably the first time 
that they've encountered the possibility that some some kid they grew up with who wasn't Jewish, not only could they grow up and become Jewish, but they could become a rabbi as well. Um, I, I, I've encountered this in, in my own life. I, I grew up with, uh, with, with friends who were pretty surprised to find out what my, what my you know, spiritual path and career path has been. And I'm, I'm sure some of you have as well. But do you think this matters? Do you think, uh, you know, uh, I mean, we could be a little trite and say representation matters. Does it matter in, in this case to see someone on the screen who, uh, who is converted and becomes a rabbi? Yeah, I, you know, of course, we have to acknowledge that this is a problematic character because it's Cartman and he's a reprobate anti-Semite. And there this could this all turn out to be a big joke, too. I mean, there's that also. Both, right. So like it kind of muddies the waters um, in terms of storytelling and the emotional strings it pulls in our hearts, you know. But OK, let's setting that aside. I think there are a lot of mythologies and misconceptions about conversion to Judaism. And even people who know that conversion is a possibility, non-Jews who know that conversion is a possibility, or even some Jews, right, who might not be really grounded in understanding what conversion is as a mechanism in our people, um, they still might have a mythology. Okay, they, they can let you in, but then you're kind of a second-rate Jew, you're kind of an off-brand Jew. Like the idea that you can actually penetrate to the heart of Jewish leadership as a convert. I mean, I think that's also a really big conversation to what degree converts are really penetrating the heart of Jewish leadership, you know, and representation and other minoritized groups as well in our community are truly able to penetrate into the heart of leadership. But for all intents and, for all intents and purposes, you know, Cartman is penetrating the heart of Jewish leadership and taking his position as a Jewish leader. And I think that's really interesting and important. Like I get a lot of questions when I speak to Christian groups or, you know, interfaith contexts, like, wow, you can convert to Judaism. Okay, so we can deal with that one, but then you can become a rabbi too. Like I, I do hear that. So, and, and I just think it signals acceptance. Like, I think that <laughs> would I have wanted South Park to be the cultural vehicle through which we we promote Jewish outreach? <laughs> no, that would not have been my first choice. But pop culture inadvertently or intentionally can be a vehicle for sharing Jewish ideas and Jewish practice and Jewish communal norms in a really encouraging way. And now like, okay, we can all like go, ha, 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 it's South Park. But millions of Americans are seeing that you can convert to Judaism and you can become a rabbi. And that might, that might mean something to people who watch that. Right, I, I think there is this, because of, of the, tense relationship between the Jewish people and Jewish communities and the West throughout our history. Like this image of Judaism or Jewish communities being this impregnable, hermetic circle of other, racially other, religiously other. Uh, that was the status quo for over 16, 18 centuries. Modernity changed that, but it took a while. 
right? Most movies, most still picture rabbis as male and Hasidic, right? Like when I want to picture a rabbi, I bring someone from this hermetic self, self-segregating or in, in some cases segregated from the outside community. Now I think in, in America is pretty much self-segregated. Uh, 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 you, you poke them out and you place them as the other in the narrative. And they have an accent and died to talk like this. But, but in the past 20 years, as and this is a, a thing that we need to keep hammering, one in six American, North American Jews is a convert, right? And, and I would say that most of us living in, 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 in the United States and in Europe are like Jews living among the nations, right? Like, it's, like I wouldn't go have too far to saying, as, as, oh, this is like self-conversion. Monbaz and Heleni and the king of the Kuzari, oh, there were a couple of Jews who were traders and there might have been a rabbi who came and visited him and gave them classes, but they still were doing a Judaism in a society that was not Jewish. And I think that is our, our diaspora bet, is that we can be Jews among the nations. And, and it's, a, I, I, yes, I, it's a beautiful favor that, that uh, uh, South Park is doing, but we'll see how it ends. It might be, might be that the joke is on us, uh, but they're showing that yes, your neighbor can become Jewish and your neighbor can, can become a rabbi, even if they were not. And, and I think that is a very important uh, precedent for us. Everyone, I think, left of ultra-Orthodoxy in America, and even there, you've had uh, cases of, of, of converts, particularly in Chabad, African-American converts, who have been ordained. I don't know how powerful they are as rabbis, how much leadership they're exerting, at what levels. But, but this is a big wake-up call to say the Jewish community is fluid, and Jewish leadership is open towards to, to, to people who used to be not Jews. Uh, I have not seen the, the episode. The, the thing that, that really I find very interesting is that Cartman is a rabbi, but he's speaking in a church. He's giving a eulogy for his- He's giving a eulogy for Kenny, right? But, but like, I, I don't know if I like, uh, Mike, did you, you, you saw the episode. Do they show like Rabbi Cartman's uh, B'nai Shalom brief? Ahava synagogue or they is- mention it they mention that he's a rabbi in what colorado springs i think something like that so okay, so, so he has a congregation uh, but but isn't it like i that this guy's coming to honor his non-jewish friend right when what when was it when uh the blessing for president obama that the one orthodox rabbi went to the national cathedral and there was a big Hula baloo within within the Orthodox community. Well, right. but 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 for 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 people who don't live in that community, for rabbis in Iowa, for rabbis in Detroit, for rabbis in Oklahoma, and even for our colleagues in New York and in LA and Chicago, we live among the nations. We we go and we do interfaith work. We like that has nothing to do with conversion. We we speak in churches, we speak in Christian universities, we teach. A lot of us have a side gig. Like I used to teach in a Methodist college. I, I taught Judaism, right? That we are, we are bringing this message and just by, by declaring even such a flawed, horrible person like Eric Cartman could find a rabbi that converted him and a rabbinical school to teach him. 
Imagine sitting on that fate then. I would not want to, but yeah. So, yeah. You know, on a on a meta level, I think not knowing how the episode ends, I think the true prank would be like the meta prank would be if he if Cartman is actually sincere. <laughs> Well, he, I really yeah, I mean, he certainly way. seems sincere. I mean, that could just be part of the joke. But, you know, when when he speaks about conversion, he speaks about, you know, I was I was inspired by the message of Torah and uh, inspired to live a Jewish life. You know, he, he speaks very um, authentically um, and, and, and sort of in language that would be. I know this is a controversial topic as well, uh, but it's 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 the kind of language that probably most um, most rabbis would would want to hear from from their converts. Um, you know, it, it's that it's that I was inspired by Judaism. I wasn't inspired by circumstance. I wasn't inspired by, by who I fell in love with. I was inspired by Judaism itself. Um, and, and 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 he definitely he definitely talks the talk. Um, and is he the uh, only one of the four that has kids? Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, he's the only one. He's the only one with a wife and only one with kids. Apparently, um, the the other the other. I mean, Kenny's dead, and Stan and Kyle appear to sort of be, you know, in in, in a sort of extended adolescence, um, where they're like they're both online entrepreneurs or some 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 job that I think the 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 writers are implying isn't a real job. Um, and and but yeah, Cartman's the only one with a wife. Um, her name is Yentl. Um, and she she appears to be a Jew by birth. Um, and but it's it's funny the way they sort of dress him up. Like, what is it that he's in? What is it that he's a rabbi now? It's that he's got a kippah and a talus and a suit. He's always wearing a suit. Um, and I'm I'm not in one right now, but I do often I, I as a congregational rabbi I tend to wear a suit quite often. Um, and my wife and I were both watching this episode going like, this 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 hitting a little too close to home, Cartman with his his glasses and his suit and his three kids and he's you know he, they show he's around because he's got a beard now, um, but he still he still looks like himself. He's not quite passing as uh, as a born Jew, but he's he's fairly but I close. I think that's really clever, right? That they didn't stick payas onto him and you know, repainted him or recast him according to, frankly, some anti-Semitic notions of what a Jew is supposed to look like. He looks like whatever his background is, it's like a generic white American guy who converted to Judaism. In fact, Mike, I would say that when I saw Cartman with like his graying temples and this kind of like his little beard and stuff, I was thinking, hey, he looks like Mike. I wonder, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, um, I yeah. I may have had that thought a little bit also. Yeah, um, no, you need you need to round out your face a little bit. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that don't worry, that'll happen. Let's <laughs> hope he's nicer to his mom now that he's a rabbi. Right, right. Keep All right, no, we're I, gonna I have to. We're, I just oh, want to say one thing um, that came up a lot in this episode and uh, do a midrashic move and refer to another episode that we've recorded in the past. So Juan especially talked a lot about uh, relinquishing your family of birth, you know, that there's this model in the Talmud that when you convert, you know, you cut all these ties. And I just want, I, I just want to make sure that our listeners aren't left with the wrong impression um, on that. We don't endorse that. We don't promote that. And we actually did an episode talking about um, 
converts and their families of origin. Um, so maybe we can link that in the show notes as well. But I just wanted to point that out that if for listeners who want to pursue that conversation, uh, we have a beautiful episode out on that already. Right. And, and yes, it, although, although certain communities do, do expect that that is not the expectation in any of our communities. And most of the Jewish world wants you to have a good relationship with your birth parents uh, uh, and, and with your, and with your native uh, culture and society. I, I, uh, yes. Um, and with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. I want to thank my two guests or not guests, my co-hosts. I want to thank my co-hosts, <laughs> Rabbi Juan Mejia, Rabbi Esther Hugenholtz. Uh, we'll get a guest again one of these days. We should, we should see who we can, we can welcome. And we're going to have to do another episode after, after part two of the, of the South Park uh, special. I will drops. catch up. I promise. Excellent. Excellent. And um, I want to thank everyone for watching and listening and be sure to like and subscribe. Uh, We're going to try to get these out more than once every six months. Um, I don't want to make any promises, but uh, hopefully we will see you soon. And I I hope everyone uh, has has a good winter and take care. Shalom Aleichem Malachi Yashari Malachi